0: first reading this morning is from the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah, chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him, and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls, because of the multitude of people and livestock in it, and I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who served them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the holy land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. The word of the Lord.
1: The second reading is from Revelation, chapter 21, verses 9 to 11, 15 to 17, and 22 to 27. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and the measurement the city And he measured the city with his rod, about 2,220 kilometers. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, about 2,592 inches, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The word of the Lord.
2: Would you pray with me? Father, be unto us our shield and protector from all perils and dangers of this life. We ask that you fill up your kingdom in this world with all the nations of this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we uh, press into the book of Zechariah, and today's reading is the third vision that the prophet saw. It's the third vision. That is actually a continuation of the first Vision that we heard from chapter one last week from Tim. Again, that first vision from last Sunday was about this mounted rider in a glen of myrtle trees getting this patrol report about the earth being all at rest. And then moving on, God expands on that vision, saying that a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem, meaning that the city will be surveyed for plans and purposes for not just to rebuild it, but to also expand the city. So in light of that, I invite us to turn in your Bibles or apps to Zechariah 2. where you can grab a pew Bible in front of you. It's a blue Bible. It's on page 985 in the Old Testament. We're in Zechariah chapter 2. So again, this is the third vision that Zechariah saw in the vision. The prophet sees a young man holding a measuring line. That's an ancient measuring tape made out of a rope or a cord. Now that young man goes out to measure Jerusalem. That's what Zechariah saw. As, as the man was going out, an angel runs up to the young man and tells him not to bother with the measurement. And why? Because the angel says it wouldn't the city would not be able to contain all the people and all the livestock that would be filling it. It would be overflowing, meaning that there will be a boom in population. And its economy. Okay, now to the Jewish remnant who had been living in the ruins of Jerusalem for a few decades now. That vision that they heard from Zechariah would have seemed more bizarre to them than it was exciting or encouraging. See, it would be like me posting on TikTok today. And I will address the people of Mariupol in Ukraine we survived the russian siege and this is why what i will say that mariupol will be a global metropolis its steel mills will once again be filled with workers its trade ports will be full of ships that's what i say on tiktok today that would be tone deaf that would be too soon to say anything like that we have suffered tremendous tremendous Difficulty in their life so recently. And then Zechariah's vision gets even crazier. See, in verse 5, God says that I will be a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I would be her glory in her midst. I will be a wall of fire. My glory will be in Jerusalem's midst. As fantastical as that sounds to us right now, that, that's, that's a fantasy sort of image, That image would bring up for the Jews the Exodus story. See, that's when God escorted Israel through the desert in a pillar of fire. And the glory of God was seen visibly in their midst, in the tabernacle. Now in the vision, though, God is saying that he won't just be one pillar of fire, like in the past. He'll be many pillars of fire that makes up walls of fire that surround them. In other words, that Just as he protected Israel through the desert, God will also be the protector of Jerusalem and will intensify his fortifications around him much more than he did in the Exodus. It's a crazy vision. See, that vision would seem to the remnant a pipe dream. But with these images that would bring back to them their ancient story and identity, that would spark a tiny spark of hope in their hearts. That reminded them of how and who they are bought by fire, by blood, by plagues, by divine acts of power. This vision was ridiculously far-fetched, but it had hints of prophetic hope. Now, now as far as this vision relates to us today, as Christians, uh, Jerusalem symbolically stood for Christians, for the church as a whole, the city, of all of God's redeemed. If we are to inter- interpret this vision for the Christian, for the church in the West today, we, as a spiritual city, we continue to reckon with our own cultural spiritual exile, with a wholesale decline of church membership and finances, on top of a steady stream of bad press and chronically bad PR management in the middle of this cultural moment in our Western society that grows more disillusioned towards institutional authority and grows more disenchanted towards supernaturalist narratives. The church's walls have collapsed, and she is being besieged within and without. Now, there was a study that was released in January 2020, just before the pandemic was officially declared, it projected that the Anglican Church of Canada, should attendance in financial giving trends continue in their current rates, may disappear by the year 2040. The study was not predicting the literal disappearance of every Anglican congregation in Canada. But as our primate, Archbishop Linda Nichols remarked, it's a wake-up call for the church Now, this is not just the case for the Anglican Church. It's across the board for every Christian denomination, with with some doing better or worse than the rest. But overall, the church is being whittled down in Canada. That's a fact. Deteriorating in numbers, in dollar value, in its influence and relevance, in its capacity to speak into any moral, political, and social issue. This is at least evident, and that's clear on an institutional and cultural level. But you know what? That may, that may be a good thing. That may be a good thing. Because as we and the church continue to feel the pinch, the pressure, and the pain of exile, we are being stripped off from all human trappings that we have too long relied upon Our buildings, endowments, cultural privilege and power and protection. And we are being forced to the ground, on our knees, in prayer and to be in faith. To look to the hands of God who alone can lead us forward to a future we do not know. That no government, no political party or leader or any church program or strategy can even begin to do, no matter how much they promise. For unless the Lord builds his house, we toil for nothing. Christians toil for nothing. The workers' work are in vain. For so long as we feel in our bones the unease and discomfort of exile in this world, we are being disciplined to really walk in faith we're being taught to truly pray these words oh come oh come Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel who mourns in lonely exile here until the son of god appear see we will never look for a savior we won't look to a savior until we are rid of all that's propping us all up. So then Zechariah, seeing this grand vision of Jerusalem, now enclosed by fire, overflowing with people and cattle, he's become overcome with the urgency. And then we read in verse 6, Zechariah, overcome, calls out to the diaspora Jews who are still settled abroad all over the Persian Empire to get in on this vision, get their butts back here in Jerusalem. He's calling out to them. Make this vision come true that I've seen. Fulfill this prophecy now. There's lots of room in Jerusalem. Fill in the gaps. Occupy your place in the city. Flee from the land of the north. Escape the nations that have plundered and oppressed you. Why do you linger? Why do you tarry far from home? Then in verse 8. This is now God talking. We hear God making his appeal to the diaspora Jews in an almost romantic way. It's a very romantic way of God speaking to them. He refers to them as the apple of his eye. For once upon a time, Moses referred to Israel as such in the lyrics of a song that he wrote in Deuteronomy. Just as they were about to enter the promised land, Moses wrote this song. He sung this about Israel. In a desert land, God found Jacob. In a barren and howling waste, he shielded Jacob and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. See, the apple of his eye is an idiom referring to the pupil of the eyeball. It's God's way of saying that the Jewish people are the focus of his vision, the center of his attention, the most tender part of one of the most vulnerable organs of the human body. Whoever touches Israel touches the eyes of God, as it were, a delicate, vital, and precious part of his being. God is calling back from the minds and hearts of the diaspora Jews this grand story of his redeeming love and affection for them when he brought them out of Egypt and established them as a people whose God is their lover and their friend, a people whose God hurts with them, who hurts in them. A people who is God takes it personally on their behalf. God is reminding them again of who they are to him. You are the apple of my eye. In regards to us, in regards to the church, God is still calling us out, his people out of Babylon. It's, again, that antithesis of Jerusalem, that symbolic place of exile and enslavement, enslavement to sin. And to return home to him who loved us with an everlasting love in Christ. Probably all of us here, we're we're not living as political refugees in this city. But as Christians, we are living as spiritual refugees in the land of Babylon. In a world and culture that are in many ways opposed and hostile to the ways of God's kingdom. How then are we exactly being called by God right now to flee from the land of the north, from Babylon, and to return to him. For one thing, and this is a big thing, this is a very primary thing in our lives, we're being called by God to flee from cultural Christianity, the false religion of the West that continues to use Jesus and the Bible to protect and prop up the wealth power and abuses of the corrupted segments of the institutional church. And whether we're aware of it or not, we are in various levels, participants and beneficiaries of this false religion of Babylon. That's a huge topic, and it's a perennial problem in the church. You can see, Babylon symbolically has a satanic way of sneaking unnoticed into the walls and gates of Jerusalem and into the temple of God in the church And then when it's already too late, we will pay homage to God while also at the same time offer sacrifices to money, to fame, to sex, and to prestige. We will praise and thank Jesus for all the blessings of this life, but won't think for a minute on how to give those blessings away to others. We will feel it's far easier to sin and disobey God and then later ask for his forgiveness, That it is to repent and change our behavior. We will accessorize Jesus. We will customize the Bible according to our lifestyle and opinions. We will seat them at our right hand in our left hand as ornaments on the throne of our own ego and ideology. This false religion of cultural Christianity, the Christianity of Babylon, God abhors and abominates. Today, even now, God is calling us to run away from this religion of the West, flee from Babylon, and then escape into Zion. You who are the apple of God's eye, the focus of his everlasting affection, into that city of peace where our home and citizenship reside, where God's law is true freedom, and where his yoke is easy and his light. Where Jesus now reigns and is plotting his final siege against this Babylon. To rid this world of all that is wicked and untrue. Why do we linger and tarry in the places that enslave us and continue in our exile? Why do we stay here? Why do we linger in Babylon? Return to Zion. Escape into the heart of God. Where his laws are true. His laws are freedom. His kingdom is coming. He will wipe away all that is false. Let us not be swept away with them. After this call to escape and return home, Zechariah in verse 10, he's now immediately caught up in this heavenly call to worship as he sees a glimpse of God returning to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. See, that's a vision that calls to mind a Jewish story of King David now processing back in a royal parade, the recaptured Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem with music and dancing and burnt offerings. That signals the return of God into David's king, David's city. But then the return of the king looks so different in this vision. It looks so different. It's not just Jewish people who are heading back to God with God into the city. In verse 11, it's the whole world, nations and peoples of the world are joining themselves, meaning covenanting with God the peoples and nations that Babylon had enslaved and exiled. They themselves are now escaping and going to Jerusalem as their new home. What a vision. And the astounding thing is, when what a privilege this is. We're living out and in the fulfillment of this vision of Zechariah. This is testament, this is testimony of Zechariah's vision fulfilled. Christianity, once a small Jewish sect, has become and continues to be the most international, multicultural, multilingual global movement of the world for centuries. This can only be the work of God. No human leader or human being can do this, could boast of this. This is the work of Jesus. But this vision is not fully realized. It's not fully realized. We're only seeing it in part. It's incomplete. Why? The king has not yet returned. Jesus is not not yet in Jerusalem. And Babylon continues to ravage this world in our hearts and everywhere. But we are not left without another vision. See, when he was exiled to be in prison in the um, island of Patmos, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John the apostle, he saw a vision of another Jerusalem. It's the same Jerusalem. Now this time it's prefab by God. It's being lowered down from heaven. John sees another man with a golden measuring line going out to measure the city. And he accomplishes it. The city walls were as long as they were deep and wide. The city looks like this ginormous cube. It's, it's, It's very weird. Now, back to Zechariah's vision, the city had no walls, it says. But in John's vision, the walls are insanely huge. Are these visions in contradiction? Uh, Both visions are symbolic. And each, they fill in the bigger picture. See, back in the Old Testament, there's only one reference. There's only one reference to a cube. But it's not explicit. There's only one reference to a cube. And that's the holiest room in the temple. the ark was stored. The holiest room was built with the same three dimensions, where God would show up before the high priest once a year during the holiest day of the Jewish year. See, when John saw the new Jerusalem as this gigantic heavenly cube, that meant to him that earth has become the dwelling place of God. Heaven has become earth, and earth has become heaven. God has made his permanent residency in and out of the universe, its boundaries as vast as the being of God could stretch, meaning that this city has no limits. Just picture the unimaginable vastness of the universe, glimpses of its boundlessness that we just saw this past week by the web telescope this past week. The walls of the new Jerusalem will be God himself, a wall of fire, the wall of his infinite being and glory, without barriers, without limits. And its only entrance... It's Jesus Christ, who will be in the city reigning as king, seated on his ancestor David's throne. This same Jesus, this same king, is still calling us out, all people, out of exile, to return to him. Flee from Babylon. Flee from slavery. Flee from sin, from death, and into life eternal And though we persist as strangers and foreigners in this world, as Christendom crumbles all around us, as Babylon yet wages war against us, may the prophetic visions of Zechariah and John establish in us hope that is immovable, that is unchanging, for what we are striving for in this life, in faith, in Jesus Christ that would produce in us vigilance to keep fleeing from Babylon and to keep returning home to God into that city of peace, that city of shalom, that city without walls to the glory and reign of our Lord and King, Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.